0: Miracy. A lot of churches would frown upon this kind of thing, talking about energy or chakras or anything that's metaphysical without recognizing that they're participating in it. Anytime we pray, it's metaphysical. Anytime we commune with the divine, it's metaphysical. Anytime that we feed the hungry, it's metaphysical. Hello, I'm Katie Valentine, and you're listening to Soul Savvy Business. I am a soul-minded spiritual entrepreneur, a Christian minister, and a New Testament scholar. Don't let any of that scare you. I support all paths to the divine, and I use tools such as chakras, dreams, and intuition to get there. On this podcast, we explore the intersection of business and spirituality. What do I mean by that? Too often, we separate our business selves from our spiritual selves. But in doing that, we don't leverage the full potential of either one. This podcast aims to help you fall in love with your own soul so that you can live your most fulfilling and successful life. Today's special episode is our season finale, so I wanted to surprise listeners with something a little different. We're turning the tables here on Soul Savvy Business to give you, our audience, an opportunity to learn a little bit more about me. I'll be switching roles today from interviewer to interviewee. This is going to be fun. I'd like to introduce you all to Melissa Deal. You may recognize her names from the credits, as she's been on the production team since day one. She is also the host of Consciousness Explored, which is a podcast that is launching on the Miracy Network later this fall. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you, Katie, and welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you. I will take my interviewer hat off now and be receptive to your guidance here.
1: (laughs) Excellent. I'm so excited about this. Uh, I'll be honest, though, I think the episode might feel a little incomplete without at least a brief tip on abundance. I look so forward to those, and I know... Your audience does as well. So is there anything that's been on your heart lately as it relates to cultivating abundance?
0: You know, I can just speak from my experience this week and today, which is really most of what we have all of the time when we're talking about abundance is what's happening in our current awareness. I've been traveling back and forth between Ireland and the United States since March for quite a few months now, for almost five months. My father-in-law died in March, so I've just been going back and forth as we've been helping out my mother-in-law. So... At the same time, I've been having kind of a massive expansion in what I'm doing with my business. So I've been trying to navigate this expansion with serving my current clients and keeping new clients coming in and then traveling internationally every single month. And, you know, that kind of caught up with me this week. The universe cleared my schedule. I've only had one appointment every day, which I have to say is unheard of. I usually have three, four or five just between clients and podcasts and everything. And so I've taken this opportunity this week to do a lot, a lot in my notebook and resting and integrating. And I got to go to the beach today and really work with my own spirit team on my own alignment. And so I tried to take my own best medicine this week, which is to listen to what my needs actually were and fulfill them on the beach, which is fabulous. It's too cold to swim because I'm in Ireland right now. So this week, it's been all about rest and integration and really reminding myself that abundance does come from rest. This is completely modeled for us in scriptures. God rests on the seventh day. The New Testament consistently talks about how Jesus had to go find time
1: to himself. So that's been my not-so-secret abundance secret for this week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, me time is probably my favorite form of abundance as well, so I totally get that. Well, we'll get into your religious and spiritual background in just a moment. But first, I'd like to ask you what word or words you currently use when referring to what you consider the divine.
0: This was so fun to think about because I've asked it 30 times now. And for me, most of the time, it's nothing because I'm communing with God in my own head. So I don't often call God anything. It's just a kind of instant party line, I guess. And I don't address God when I'm communing with God. When I'm speaking with others or verbalizing it, then there's four that come to mind, and it's just simply the divine, because I think that covers the known and the unknown. And I think most of what we can experience of God really is unknown. Love, goddess, and God. Those four are what I use, yeah, in written form, verbal form, but in my own head, not much. I don't come up with a lot of titles. Yeah, I don't feel the need to say, hey, you know, hey, God, it's me, Margaret, or
1: anything like that. Right, right. I just had that in my head. I was just thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, that book. <laughs> right. They just made a movie. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. That was my favorite book as a child.
0: You know, I read that one, too, and all of those Judy Bloom books, which were dated by the time I was a kid, but I still read them. One reason I valued them, it was my first introduction to Judaism. Really? Many of the characters in her books are Jewish, and as a little kid, I knew only Christianity. Like, I didn't know anything else. I remember having to ask, like, what is this? What is a Jewish person? Like, I had no idea. And of course, they don't kind of explain that in the book. So actually, I kind of credit Judy Bloom with, I mean, I would have figured it out eventually, but as a 8, 9, 10-year-old, that
1: introduced me into the world of, like, East Coast Jews. Yeah, That is so cool. I love that. That kind of leads right into what we're about to talk about, your spiritual and religious upbringing. So you could go right into that from where you were. Yeah. So I grew up
0: in three Christian traditions. Uh, one was my household tradition, and my parents were recovering Southern Baptist. And they both knew from the time they got married, long before I was born, that they did not want to be Southern Baptist anymore. And so I grew up Methodist, and it was a sort of mild-mannered church. You sit down and pray, you stand up and sing the hymn. Not super charismatic, not super evangelical, but growing up in the American South, we were surrounded by evangelical culture, and so that has its way of seeping in. So there was still a lot of talk in that church of like salvation, kind of soft talk about salvation, an assumption about what heaven and hell were then we were surrounded by evangelical culture and so as a teen i went to a lot of like southern baptist camps and churches and there were a lot of altar calls in my life and a lot of talk about how your soul gets kind of stained anytime you do anything wrong that never really felt right to me but i i kind of listened and participated in a lot of that there were a lot of those silly little tracks that you're supposed to hand out to help convert people I would love to know if anyone has ever been genuinely converted from a track. I seriously doubt it, but you never know. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) But then really another huge impact was I went to Catholic school for 10 plus years of my life. And that was day in and day out. I mean, the nuns were teaching me. We went to mass once a week and I was one of the very few Protestant kids in my class. And so there were only two or three of us at any given time. Everyone else was Catholic. I've come to learn since then that that particular school, there was sexual abuse that was going on between the priest and some of the kids in the class. This caused a, not a crisis for me, but a huge reevaluation of the privilege I might have had as a Protestant kid a couple of years ago when I found that out. But one thing I value about that school is that it offered the lowest tuition for working class Catholic families in our state, in the state of Louisiana. So that was a school that was dedicated to making good, affordable education, private education for working class Catholic families. So I grew up in this trifecta of mainline Protestantism, surrounded in evangelical culture that was very influential, and also Catholicism. So if you want a religious hangup, I had it. Protestant shame to Catholic guilt. But if you wanted all of the good things that can come with Christianity, I also had access to all of those. So now I'm very grateful because I saw from day one that there's no one path. It was all in the Jesus camp, but really radically different ways to approach that. But I saw that, you know, although the Baptists and Catholics, each other might be going to hell, I knew that neither one of them were because I saw the good in both
1: and I saw the flaws in both too. I love that you made the choice to take the good and leave what did serve you. I like that. Yeah, I've been always so fascinated with
0: spirituality and expressions of the divine that I felt like the God put me in this place so I could draw on all of this later in life, even though it may have been a tad confusing at the time, but also a, a really fun ride. And um, I have this distinct memory of being in my Methodist church the day all my Catholic friends were receiving First Communion, because I had had to go through the training with them, even though I wasn't getting First Communion. That's a thing that only Catholic kids do. We were having communion in my church that Sunday and I asked my mom, I was like, well, can like, we go back in time so I cannot have taken communion before so I can take it for the first time today? <laughs> so I was apparently into like the quantum reality even back then. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And when do you feel like that kind of shifted for you into more metaphysical? Because you're more metaphysical today, as you talk about. Yeah. Yeah. What was the shift there for you? When did that happen? What was the shift?
0: Yeah. So I think I was probably a very intuitive kid who didn't have a lot of names or structure or camp to kind of put that in because radical intuition and I wouldn't even call it sixth sense, but that being able to sort of interact with the spiritual world or the energetic world. There's no rule book for that, especially for kids, especially if your parents aren't into that, which either one of mine were. I don't know that they would have been opposed to it, although I think they would have back then. These days, they're pretty open to it. What kind of experiences were those? So one of the experiences I remember so vividly, I was three years old and I was laying in bed and I used to listen to those tapes where you turn the page when it beeps to read because I couldn't read yet. And I'm sure it was a Bible book. Those were my favorites. You can really see the seeds of where I've ended up with these. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember just chatting with Jesus. That felt so natural to me. Was it, I was a kid. I didn't know what prayer was. I was a little, I was a really little child. I remember just that really close, intimate presence. And I would say presence with a capital P, whether that was Jesus or God, or it doesn't even matter. It was the divine. I don't remember what I called it. But it became so intimate that it was scary. And I didn't have a way to filter it. And it was scary that I kind of pushed it away. So I feel like a good chunk of my adult life has been reclaiming that.
1: Wow. Yeah, I could see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I when I got old enough to have appropriate filters and to discern and ask and kind of go on that journey. But I also remember talking to trees. <laughs> I remember crying once because I thought the tree in the front yard was taking all the water, but I wanted it to have enough water. <laughs> but I didn't want it to take so much water that we didn't have any, not understanding how pipes worked. (laughs) So, So, you know, I was talking to plants then, I think, too. So, you know, lots of experiences like that. But I mean, mostly I was living my life, playing, doing the things that kids do. So my metaphysical journey probably began then when I was really, really small. And as a high schooler, it was the 90s. So I read the prerequisite New Age books that were out there. And there were a lot of sort of suggestive visualizations become a tree and talk to your roots and branches, stuff which I do now happily all the time. But at the time, I remember reading them, maybe trying it, but it was just a little too woo-woo for me at the time. Definitely did not square with those three Christian traditions in which I was embedded day in and day out. And so I would like read those and then shut them and then read them and then shut them. And then sometimes I would go to Pentecostal friends' churches and my family was definitely not Pentecostal. They hated it when I would go to those. But I enjoyed the atmosphere because they were so metaphysical, although they would never use that word. Definitely not. Right. They would never use that word. And these are the kind of churches where women didn't cut their hair and there was no makeup, no jewelry, like all of that. But they were so in touch with spirit. And I loved that. So, I mean, in that sense, I was reaching out to this metaphysical universe. Shh, don't tell the Pentecostals to Treeport, Louisiana. That's <laughs> what I call them. And then i got into college and grad school, and I was studying the Bible. I was planning on being a professor, and contrary to what anyone may think, there's nothing woo about that. You're learning ancient languages. You're writing papers about what was the ancient context, and you're studying ancient world, and it's a long slog. But in grad school, my PhD program, I began attending just for fun. I didn't get a grade. I began attending a class on dreams, And as people began sharing their dreams, I began to see that there was a lot more going on than the daily rents or dreaming about something that was just going on in your immediate daily life or problem solving, although all of that was present too. But I began to see that there were huge archetypes in people's dreams and that sometimes many people would come in and they had all had the same animal in their dream or the same synchronicity. And I began to see that there were not only life patterns, but Many life patterns over many lifetimes that were showing up in people's dreams. And so this sparked my interest again. And at this point in my life, I was in a place where I was mature enough to be able to dive into this with some responsibility. I definitely had the research skills to figure out what's the history behind all of this stuff. And it really took off from there. So while I was in grad school, I was attending a church that was super supportive, that they were open to anything that you wanted to do like that. And at the school where I adjuncted, there was a meditation teacher. I started attending his meditations. He taught me about chakras and about meditation. He was a Catholic brother. So it was kind of full circle. Yeah. And so this is what I
1: credit to getting me through my PhD program. That's awesome. I'm liking learning all this. As long as I worked with you, there's so many new things coming up. <laughs> that are so Yeah, that are so fascinating. Well, I'm going to move on just a little bit, but still sticking with uh, your kind of early religious and spiritual beliefs. Could you tell us how they impacted your relationship with money or abundance or if they did? Yeah, I think they did. One of the things I
0: really value about Christianity is a focus on mission and on giving. And sometimes this can be distorted. We all know ways in which this is done unethically. But when done right, it's a great gift, I think, that churches have for the world. So there was always a focus on giving, on mission, on doing for others, on where can we share our gifts and our money. And so that was always really important to me growing up. And I saw that kind of in all three of those circles. You know, I still believe in that. I believe in charitable giving, I believe in volunteering and in in causes that make the world a better place. So I credit that portion of my relationship with money to those experiences. But this also has its shadow side, right? And so this also produced a profound sense of guilt in me that I had something that other people didn't have. And so even going on mission trips, I would be kind of wandering in a fog of some guilt and I wouldn't say shame, but yeah, that intense sense of guilt about that there's not enough that some people have to do without that saying of Jesus that the poor will always be with you can be a ruminating voice is unhelpful. And so in that sense, I think I impoverished myself for a lot of years. When I was a student, I think I made myself much more lean than I needed to be for many years and getting into debt, some especially some student debt because of this mindset, because it also produces the idea that there's virtuous poverty. So someone with a lot of education, and maybe a job that has high prestige but low income, well, that's virtuous. It's virtuous to be poor. Or pastors have the same thing. They may have a lot of prestige. Yeah, but not a lot of cash. And so then it becomes, it almost becomes virtue signaling. In some of those communities, people will kind of outline the different ways that they suffer. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely participated in that. So I had to turn that around. Do you think most of that was conscious or unconscious? Oh, totally unconscious. Totally unconscious. It wasn't until I really began getting into business for myself and began the relationship with the wonderful person who is now my spouse, who had a much healthier mindset around money, and was very patient with me. At one point, we were planning on handling all of our student debt separately, which made sense at the time early in our relationship. And then one day I got a text from him and it was a text I had dreaded for like years. And it said, how much is your student debt? Let's just think about paying all of our student debt collectively off together. And I was on my way to meet him for dinner. And I got there and he said, did you get my text? I said, yeah, no, I'm not going to tell you that. And he was like, are you serious? I was like, I'm dead serious. I'm not telling you how much student debt I have. And he said, why not? And I said, because I'm embarrassed and you may leave me. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to tell you. It's that bad. (laughs) It was that, and it was added to that sense of like shame and guilt and everything that having participated in the subculture of virtuous poverty. And so he knows me, thankfully, and he didn't try to shame me into telling him or anything. And he, he, after a week, he was like, can you tell me now? I said, no. And he said, is it more than this? I said, yes. I'll tell you that. Yes. (laughs) We can play the 20 questions game. And finally, finally, he just said, just write it on a post-it and give it to me. I promise I won't be shocked, and we'll, we're going to deal with it. And that's what we did. So that's how deep some of this ran with money. Um, was it all rooted in religion? No. But um, so some of that mindset had had filtered to me in a way
1: without any corrections. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be a Christian or Jesus follower, you're going to have to reconcile that through that lens. So how did you do that through, how did your religion, your spirituality as a Jesus follower help you with that?
0: Yeah. And so actually this is, yeah, this is, I think where my academic study comes in really, really handy. And I finally realized I was thinking about Money, I was thinking about abundance as if there's a defined amount in the world and everyone only gets a portion. And if that's the case, I wanted to give away my portion so other people could have it the people who deserved it or needed it, or people who'd been impoverished or didn't have enough food, like whatever it was. And so I realized we've inherited that directly from the Romans, or the Romans exemplified it. And we are somehow like inheritors of that mindset. So for the Romans, anything in the world that was worth having, like honor, money, abundance, was zero sum. So if you got some, you took it from someone else. So everyone was in a stakes and status. And if Christianity is anything, it's anything. It's about bringing together people who are wildly diverse, have no relationship to each other and making them into a family without all the status stuff. And so I thought at some point, I don't know how conscious it was, but looking back, I was like, this is actually like contrary to my vision of what Christianity should be, which is that we all do all help one another and but we're
1: all working out of God's abundance, not out of the world's scarcity. Right. Yeah. I like that. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And speaking of that, I've just always wondered, I hear you say that you're a Jesus follower a lot. And I just didn't know, is that the same as being a Christian? Is there any difference in following Jesus and Christianity?
0: Yeah. Really, the only reason I say that is because I know from experience how much trauma so many churches have wrought on people, and the word Christian can be a huge trigger for so many people. And so many people align that with Christian nationalism. They align that with hate and narrow-mindedness. When I use the word Christian about myself, that's not what I mean. I just mean simply someone who follows Jesus So it's really with respect for people that have a difficult time with the term, which I respect the reasons why they have a difficult time. And so to me, it's the name is not that important. At the same time, I don't let anyone define for me what the word Christian means. So I use both pretty interchangeably for myself. Also, I find myself sometimes... Even when someone says, are you a Christian? I'm sometimes hesitant to answer, not because I'm ashamed or I want to deny, you know, who I am or my background or anything like that, but because I don't want them making assumptions about me because it can be a loaded question. Are they going to assume that I'm narrow minded or yeah, and I'm putting people in a box. So, so go both ways.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to switch it up a little bit and go into talking about your business and your entrepreneurial journey and the work that you do now. So could you tell us just a little bit about your business and the people that you serve? Yeah, so this has two parts because, as I mentioned in
0: the beginning, I'm currently in this period of expansion. And so I have been helping for years Christians who want to incorporate metaphysics into their faith journey. And I'm continuing to do that. I love it. It's amazing watching people transform themselves and from the inside out and to live into this beautiful abundance of the energetic world. Um, So I'm not stopping doing that. I've also been helping spiritual entrepreneurs launch. What I've been developing will be called Soul Forge coaching, which is to help anyone who wants to be crystal expansive. And that's especially maybe entrepreneurs,
1: professionals. That's the first time I've ever heard the term crystal expansive. Is that a new term or did you coin it or am I just out of the loop on that? Yeah, I think I coined it. I came up
0: with this a couple of years ago just in my own meditations. So, by Christo-expansive, I mean someone who has roots in Christianity, but they also see the value in being expansive globally, spiritually, in incorporating practices and values and spirituality from outside of Christianity into their journey.
1: So for your new program, you work with entrepreneurs, obviously. Who would be like your target market there among entrepreneurs?
0: Yeah, so for entrepreneurs who are wanting to expand expand their ripple in the world, expand their impact, and get really clear on what their spirituality is. And so this is for those who have roots in Christianity or in the Judeo-Christian worldview that we have. They don't want to throw that out. They don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but they want to be more expansive in their thinking. So they're coming from maybe a place of religious toxicity, religious trauma, and want to resolve that because we cannot have the impact we want to have if we're dealing with our religious past and it's still with us and hasn't been healed. So coming from a place of healing that to a place of really wanting to find out who are your spiritual and energetic allies in the world. And I mean specifically, who are the angels, who are the guides that you would like to work with? And those who really want to go into the energetic world, into the spiritual world, meet those allies, meet the people that they serve so that they can serve them at a more impactful rate. Right. That backup team. Get the backup team. Yeah. And it's also fun. It's also fun. Yeah. Yeah. We get to expand our spiritual horizons along the way uh, while still
1: really being enamored with the teachings of Jesus. Okay. Well, just so we could be super clear for the listeners... Can you tell us really more specifically what metaphysics encompasses and where you draw a line, if at all, when it comes to blending metaphysics and Christianity? So I'm going to answer the second one first, which is,
0: no, I draw no lines because I believe that Christianity is metaphysical. I don't believe there's any blend. The only barriers are the ones that we have erected. So Christianity is the story of God who becomes incarnate on the earth, teaches people about love and justice heals people through this energy that we don't really understand and ask us to do the same. And you can't get more metaphysical than that. We all know this is no secret, right? A lot of churches would frown upon this kind of thing and talking about energy or chakras or anything that's metaphysical without recognizing that they're participating in it. Anytime we pray, it's metaphysical. Anytime we commune with the divine, it's metaphysical. Anytime that we feed the hungry, it's metaphysical. And so, no, I don't draw, I draw no distinction between the two. I don't think that there is a distinction. For the first part of your question, you know, what is metaphysics? What is metaphysical? So, if we just break this word down, it just means like more than or after the physical. So, it's all the things that don't fit into what we can measure with our five senses. Although our five senses are, of course, involved in how we interpret and experience the energetic world. So I'm not even sure that breaking down the word is all that useful, but it's a good starting place. And so for me, yeah, metaphysical is everything that doesn't fit into our usual box. It's developing our intuition. It's recognizing that there is a spiritual world out there that is, I don't want to say greater than we are, that is invisible to us most of the time, but very present and very real. And so it's tapping in. it's becoming allies with that energy. Which all sounds
1: very Christian. (laughs) Right? I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like saying, you know, I don't know how electricity works. I can't see it. Right. So we're not going to use it. No, you're going to use it. It's 115 degrees out here. We're using it. (laughs) Exactly. So the idea of metaphor. Physics, As we're talking about, is really uncomfortable for a lot of Christians. And there's a lot of misinformation and endless rabbit holes on the Internet. So people who are curious can get overwhelmed and confused and uncomfortable. I imagine you have seen a lot of that over the years of working with people. So how would you work with someone who's curious and eager, but also hesitant? You know, what would be your advice for them?
0: So yeah, like you said, there's a lot of bad information out there. And there's frankly a lot of people out there who are doing this work who are beginners and have not done their homework and are trying to teach people too soon in their journey. And I see that quite often and giving people misinformation. And so my first wisdom is to go slow. Going from I'm curious, but a little scared into a quantum multidimensional explanation of past lives, and everything is going to be way too much, way too soon. So I I say go slow, but go courageously, right? Make this journey with trust, with courage, providing yourself with spiritual tools to keep you grounded. I think one of the misconceptions of this work is that, especially for Christians, is that it is a free-for-all. It is not a free-for-all. While there's no dogma or doctrine that I teach, because I don't find that helpful, there are ethical guidelines and considerations and mental health guidelines and considerations that we need to keep intact. And so my wisdom is always to, I always say, go at your own pace because that could keep you stalled for like years. Sometimes we don't have a good pace, but go at a reasonable pace with this material, but do it with some full trust that you are surrounded, you are guided, God has provided everything that you need for this journey. When you're in the place where you don't feel like you can do it on your own, or that is taking way too much time, or that your questions, you have the same questions now that you had a year ago, then it's time to get a mentor who has been on this path to assist you with this. Spiritual mentors are tried and true. We have had them for millennia. They are a worthwhile tradition. And so find a spiritual teacher who can assist you, not tell you what to do, but assist you and hold the safety net for you while you're doing this you know
1: I think our spiritual journeys are the only thing we take with us when we go yeah yeah that's good as far as spiritual teachers I've kind of found that for me a good litmus test is do they guide you to your own intuition and your own best wisdom or are they trying to get you to believe something how do you feel about that
0: Yeah, absolutely. A good teacher should provide space for you to come to your own conclusions and should empower you to go off and fly. And so, yeah, so I think a good teacher, a good spiritual mentor will not make you dependent on them.
1: Right. And I've seen in this work a lot, too, that people are there to give you a little piece to maybe somebody plants the seed, maybe somebody waters it, maybe somebody puts the UV light on it. And there's kind of a progression of teachers and mentors As you grow and bloom, you know, does that make sense? Yes. Do you feel? Yes,
0: absolutely. And yeah, I feel the same way. And I have mentors and teachers as well. I am very rarely without a spiritual director because I believe that coaches need coaches, spiritual mentors need mentors. And I know I was just in between spiritual directors because mine had kind of closed her practice for about six months. And I started getting really testy and I knew it was time to find someone again, who could hold space for me the same way that I hold space for other people and can empower me and also challenge me when I get in closed minded thinking, which we're all
1: apt to do at some point or when I think I actually have all the answers. Right. Call me on that. Yeah. Yeah. Which will inevitably impact your personal life and your business. (laughs) Yes. Yes. A thousand percent. Which leads me to my next question. What would you say your biggest challenge has been in building the business you have now? Oh my gosh, it was investing in
0: myself because I really like being at the top of my class. I really did have the mindset I could figure this all out on my own. And that if I read enough books, if I watched enough YouTube, if I, you know, did all those classic things, I could figure this all out. But I was coming from the world of academia and nonprofits, and neither one of those are preparatory for launching your own business. I mean, they were really good at skill set building. But yes, for me, it was taking that plunge and finding someone to teach me how to build and run a business. And that was a huge leap. And it I don't know if other entrepreneurs have felt like this. But before I did that, I almost felt a little bit like a failure if I needed assistance with this. I was so used to doing everything for myself. I was so used to it. I'd I'd been so scrappy for so long.
1: Promise you're not the only one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yes. But, you know, afterwards I think when I initially signed up for the first person that I worked with, it was at the time for me, a really, really high ticket price tag, like I think $8,000. And I think I went and I threw up and then I felt great. <laughs> I just needed to purge my system. Yeah. I so Holy moly. I just spent a lot of money. Okay. What am I doing? What am I doing? Yeah. Uh, is this going to pay off? Am I, can I do this? Can I do this? And then it turned out to be a really, really good mentor. That's
1: awesome, awesome. All right. And in your previous shows, you've asked all your guests what they think of when you say being in alignment. So I'm going to switch it around. And we'd like to hear what that means to you when I say being in alignment.
0: So I try not to overthink this. But for me, it's when my vision, my values, my mission, and my actions all line up together. So vision, value, missions, and actions. And for me, I think the sticky spot there is actions. Sometimes I'm spending time on things that I've not said are my vision values or my mission in the world. And then I have to look at that because if that's true, I'm not in alignment. So if I'm spending my time on a bunch of tasks that don't ally myself with the other three, then I am out of alignment. So for me, it's when all four of those are stacked, are really nicely stacked. What does it feel like to you when you're out of alignment? What's your first clue? So I think there's two things. One is I get super irritated and annoyed. I just get annoyed at everything around me. If we're talking about I'm out of alignment because I didn't exercise yesterday, and I probably needed to, and although that's a value of mine, I just didn't get it in, that's pretty easy to solve. Okay, stop what I'm doing, go exercise back in alignment. But I think another is sometimes I feel out of alignment when I'm actually in a growing edge, and it's very easy for me to confuse those two. So if I'm in the middle of a leveling up spiritually or in my business or just in my personal life, I feel that friction because things will feel off. It kind of, to me, it feels like mental sandpaper. Like everything feels just a little harder. Things don't line up. The launch doesn't go quite the way you think it will, like that kind of thing. Sometimes I'm just truly out of alignment and I need to reevaluate and that's easy enough to do. Do these four things stack up? Sometimes I'm just in the middle of an expansion. And so it feels like it's out of alignment, but it's not. It's just the growing pains. And so I have to be super aware to try to distinguish between the difference of those because they
1: can feel very similar to me. Absolutely. I agree. When those changes do occur and you kind of settle into that, it's a new alignment. You feel different. It's a new alignment. Yes. And so that's going to feel different. So this is where energy and metaphysics
0: can be super helpful because they can give us a little bit of a barometer and how the new thing feels. And for me, I can get there a bit more quickly. And these days when I need to transform some energy, I mean, it used to take me weeks, months. Now it usually takes hours or days. So for me, that's a huge gift of the metaphysical world.
1: Yeah, what's your go-to?
0: So my go-to is very simple. Go for a walk. Make sure that that part of my 3D incarnated life is taken care of. And then settle in for the quiet moments where I can receive the spiritual wisdom that my team, that God, that the earth has. And it doesn't take more than 30 minutes, truly, unless you're really out of source.
1: Yeah, true. <laughs> Sometimes it can take a whole day. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, Katie, do you have any parting words or advice that you'd like to share with your listeners? So, yeah, I think it's find your alignment.
0: And to be courageous and go out there and find your spiritual allies, find your human allies who can help you in this crazy adventure that we call entrepreneurship. Because again, in the end, the thing we take with us is our soul and our soul mission and our soul journey. The ripple effect and the impact we have is part of that, but there's no reason why we have to do it alone. So find your spiritual tribe, find
1: your human tribe and get together making the difference your call to make. Mm, That's fantastic. This was so much fun, Katie. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. I have enjoyed every second of working with you, and I just adore you. And can you tell us one more time, what's the best way to find you?
0: Yes, and thank you for hosting, uh, Melissa. This is really, really fun. I can't wait for your show to come out. I'm so excited about it, and a great title. It's Consciousness Explored. It's going to be fabulous. been so fun to work with you just over all of these episodes. So you all can find me at www.kativalentine.com. Make sure you're spelling Katie correctly, K-A-T-Y. There's another IE Valentine out there that will not get to the place where you're supposed to be. So just kativalentine.com is the easiest way. And you'll find a little thing there on SoulForge uh, coaching and everything else
1: that I offer too. Fantastic. Thank you. And of course, as always, that will all be in the show notes. And back to you, Katie. Okay, I'll take us on out.
0: I'm Katie Valentine, and you've been listening to Soul Savvy Business. Soul Savvy Business is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes shows as Just Between Coaches and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Melissa Deal. Thank you, Melissa. And she's also the co-host today. Melissa assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer and post-production was by Marvin Del Rosario. To make sure you don't miss great episodes coming up on Soul Savvy Business. Please follow us on Miracy FM's YouTube channel or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a comment or a starred review. It is the best way to help us get these ideas out there to more people. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.